passage is from, is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, October, as we've been mentioning, is a missions month here at Lord's Love. And I'm starting, uh, we're starting together a two-part mini-series called Life on Missions as we learn what it means to walk with Christ while engaging with our culture that we're set in. And today, uh, the, the, the sermon's on the passage I was just read uh, by Rachel being on salt and light and what that means and how we're called to influence, to be people of influence in the world. And I'm going to title this for young adults and youth that understand this, staying salty and lit. Uh, so that's a little catchy if you remember. Not the salty, the angry type, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so next week, uh, uh, this, this week's on salt and, salt and light, and next week's going to be the story of Daniel and how he engages culture and how he contextualizes the faith. And just to give a little bit more of an overview, on October 16th, we have Jackie Wong from EduPavi, which is a ministry we support uh, that, uh, that raises schools and helps uh, young children be educated down in Guatemala. She's going to come and share about uh, her organization and the, the work that they're a part of. And I'm also excited for this. October 23rd, we have our own Jessica Leung that's going to be up uh, here with me. We're going to have a conversation, sitting down, podcast style, uh, talking about missions uh, and talking about her work in East Asia with OMF. Uh, she's been back with us for a little while now. And then October 30th, we have Reverend Samuel Lee from Lord's Grace, uh, who's been involved in some local initiatives, especially in the First Nations Reserves up north and also just around town in terms of the meals uh, that they provide. So that's a little bit of an overview for October and uh, for us as a congregation here. But we want to start off this morning on this missions month with the topic of really addressing Christianity and culture, how we engage our culture, how we engage our faith with the culture that we're set in. What does that mean for us as Christians? And it might be important if you're stepping into church for the very first time today, what it means, what we mean by, by missions, because it can be a churchy word. Uh, but by missions, we're talking about the activity of the church that shares the gospel of Jesus. Typically, that's what we mean when, we, when it comes down to missions. Now, that's also why uh, maybe I get irked a little bit. <laughs> I have an issue with not the word, but really the, the definition. And why I have issues with it is really, and maybe issues of dedicating a month to it, uh, though I get the idea, it's because this ought to be our whole life. It's not just an activity, but maybe it's every day. It's everything that we do. But I get it. We, we set a month apart to really deliberately think about this, to talk about this, to address this. You see, Alpha, as we talked about, that's happening later this month. Alpha is missions. We might consider that to be missions. We consider night shifts, uh, ministries to be missions, where we go and serve food and give out clothing uh, to our street friends there in Surrey, or going to Ghana uh, or Panama as missions. But 
we often don't think about our life groups as missions, or we don't think about uh, our fellowship nights as missions, or our lunches as missions, or when I go to work and school, and just having, uh, hanging out with my friends as, as missions. What if, what if we thought of missions not as something we do all, uh, not, not as something we do uh, some of the time, but something we do all the time, through everything that we do? What if it's just part of who we are? What if we thought of missions as making an impact, which is the argument this morning? What if we think of missions as making an impact? What if we think of missions as not, of an, not as an activity, but really a way of living out every single day, no matter where it is, that is a way of living out and influ- influencing the world for Jesus? We see that impacting and influencing the world is not really optional. It's really what we do as Christians. It's what we're called to as a church. And here's a big idea for us this morning. As salt is meant to be salty, you're like, okay. And light is meant to, be, to give light, you're like, all right. Christians are meant to influence. That's it. <laughs> That's the simplicity of a big idea this morning. The salt is meant to be salty and light is meant to give light. In the same way, Jesus is arguing that as Christians, we're meant to be influential. We're meant to make a difference. We're meant to impact the world for Christ. As Christians, by default, we're meant to be influencers. A couple uh, winter con- conferences ago, I had a, a conversation with uh, Emma Chu. Uh, she's on Instagram, known as Vancouver Foodie, uh, over 100,000 followers now. And I was asking her this question uh, as she started off. That's not her background. Like, what, what does it mean to influence as Christians? What does it mean to make an impact? Because we can look at that as the example and be like, well, that's what it looks like to influence the culture, to, have X, to do X, Y, and Z. And she said something along the lines of this is that we are all called to influence we're all called to influence, but what, it, what matters is do we understand the platform and the context in which we've been called into? For her, that's her ministry, and that's her way of serving. What is it for us? What are we called to influence? Because by influence, what I mean by that is to have an, a positive effect, to have a positive effect on the development or behavior of something or someone around you. I want to argue that all of us, we have influence, big or small. We all have influence in this world, but the question really comes down to is what kind of influence? What kind of influence do we have? Uh, One of my favorite missiologists, uh, missiologists is those that specialize in studying missions, uh, the theology of missions. Uh, David Bosch, in his book, uh, Transforming Missions, he says this, the church is seen as essentially missionary. The church is not the sender, but the one sent. Its mission, its being sent, is not secondary to its being. The church exists in being sent and in building up itself for the sake of its mission. Ecclesiology, or the theology of church, therefore does not precede missiology. He continues, missionary activity is not so much the work of the church as simply the church church at work. Since God is a missionary God, God's people are a missionary people. It has become impossible to talk about the church without at the same time talking about mission. One can no longer talk about church and mission, only about the mission of the church. A church without mission or a mission without the church are both contradictions. You see, we could be on missions overseas and in places out in our city, and we need that. We need to be people that do and participate in missions in that way. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in global missions and, and outreaching to people beyond our church walls for sure. But the argument here, and maybe just to start off this missions month, is to think about 
what does it look like to impact our city, to impact the context in which you're called into? Let's start here, right here in Vancouver with home. Uh, there is, a, after all, this is where we spend most of our time uh, here in, in, in the lower mainland. And there are some serious topics that you and I are called to engage in. Uh, to, to address with our friends and our family, our coworkers, our, our fellow students that we spend a lot of time with. I came across uh, this uh, YouTube page, uh, Ju- Ju- uh, Jubilee Media. Has anyone heard of it? Jubilee, uh, Jubilee Media. Uh, they ask a lot of good questions and they bring people into the room and have these uh, thought-provoking kind of conversations. And Jubilee uh, Media exists to bridge people together and inspire love through compelling stories. And they create these shareable moments uh, together to talk about what's really important and to challenge the assumptions that we have in life. And they have this segment, and uh, one of our church members sent me this and is like, hey, what do you think of this? It's a church segment called Spectrum where they, question, they have questions uh, and they, ha- they ask these questions and have these people stand uh, according to how they would answer uh, that question. And this video was called, uh, Do All Christians Think the Same? So they invited six Christians, which you see in the picture in the bottom right there, uh, and to, for them to share their beliefs. And it's pretty popular. It's six million views. So it's not just a few people uh, that are watching this. And they would ask questions like, like, how would you answer this question? I like Christian music. And then they would spread apart and answer uh, and stand, at whether it's strongly disagree, disagree, somewhat disagree, somewhat agree, agree, or strongly agree, and they'll stand on those lines. And then they'll ask another question, I support the LGBTQ community. Then they will go and stand on whatever line they believe. Or I would date someone who isn't Christian. Or I would have sex before marriage. Or if I died now, I would go to heaven. And after each question, they will go and stand on each line, and they would explain why, they're, why they believe what they believe. If you were there with the questions that I just asked, how would you answer? Or if someone was asking you that question, how would you engage in such a conversation with them? Because how you answer and why you answer what you answer matters. And my prayer for us is that we would be a church that is actively engaged with culture and with our city and with our people and with our friends and with our families, that we will be a safe place to answer and wrestle through these difficult questions, that we're able to have conversations about the faith not, uh, and for the faith, not for argument's sake, but it's our way of really sharing the gospel and sharing the, why we believe what we believe. And that's where we come to today in this text here of Jesus calling us to stay salty and to stay lit. The text today is found in what's known as the Sermon on, on the Mount. And we read right in the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Right here in the beginning of chapter 5, we get the context of this uh, Sermon on the Mount. Who is Jesus speaking to? He is directly speaking to who? His disciples. A disciple is someone who is a learner, a follower. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And Jesus is speaking to those who are following him and taking his teachings seriously and trying to learn the most that they can, to absorb everything they can. And as we, even as we think about the definition of a Christian, a Christian, as you maybe heard through the Alpha Course, is a Christ. Ian is a little Christ. It's people that are imitating Jesus. Like Christians take Christ 
seriously and as Christians take Christ to be their authoritative figure. And this is where Jesus teaches his disciples about kingdom life. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's teaching his disciples, his followers about kingdom life, what it looks like to live a joyful, spirit-filled life according to the will of God, uh, engaging in the culture, engaging in the highs and lows of life, what it looks like to live this sort of spirit-filled life. And this isn't to set some impossible moral standard uh, that Jesus is trying to paint, be like, hey, look how fall you short, uh, how, how short you fall. Uh, it's not even to make people feel bad. His disciples feel bad about this, uh, this bar that he's setting. It's really Jesus painting the picture of what it practically, yet how challenging it looks like, uh, the challenging purposes of the kingdom of God. He's pushing that and to have us recognize how practical yet challenging it is to be a disciple of Jesus. See, following Jesus is difficult in the culture then, and it's difficult in our culture now. Christianity and culture has been a question of the church since the beginning of the church. Questions, maybe you've asked this before. How am I to engage in these kind of questions? How am I to engage and relate to the world around us? How am I to live? What does it look like to be in the world but not of it? How do we speak in a way that uses words that people understand without losing ourselves completely and without losing the gospel completely. And I got, I got to say this, and this is a conviction piece on my end as I was studying this word and God was speaking to my life, that some of us, and me included, are afraid to be influenced by the world, so afraid sometimes that we're afraid to be in it. Some Christians don't want to engage in culture, and maybe we end up hiding, and we can hide. What does hiding look like? We can hide in a church. We can hide in our fellowship groups. We can hide in a Bible study. We can hide with hanging out with only Christians instead of engaging with the issues of the day, being out in the world, engaging with the poor, engaging with those that have questions, topics that people find difficult, questions that we find difficult but we don't want to address. That's one side of the spectrum. Then, there, then there's the other side that I find myself in as well, that, that the other side the end of the spectrum is where we're so not afraid, we're so not concerned about the ways of the world that we end up succumbing to the world, that we uh, overthink about our, our faith, that we're actually, we think we're stronger than we actually are, that we go and be like, you know what, like Christ calls me to be light, so I go into these places without being intentional, prayerful, understanding uh, the pressures that I'm going to be placing myself into. And before we know it, we end up being like the world where people can't even tell us apart who's Christian and who's not. So this is a long way of introing <laughs> and painting the picture here. It's like, how do we influence culture with all those difficulties and all those complexities? Because I haven't figured it out fully yet, and I'm in it with you. Because culture, how do we influence this culture? How do we influence culture, which can be defined as simply what we choose to do? Why? What our culture chooses to do, what our context and the people choose to do, how do we engage with that? How do we engage and choose to have conversations with people in that way? And Jesus, in this text here, in our remaining time, uh, I'm hoping to flesh it out, out a little bit. Jesus uses two illustrations by simply calling Christians to be salt and to be light. You see, you influence the world by being salt and by being light. So what does that mean, though? You're like, Doug, okay, what does that mean? What, what does being salt mean? What does being light mean? What does it mean to ultimately influence the world? 
Well, let's break the passage down a little bit more. We influence the world to be salt. As we see in the first passage here, our influence, as salt and light, our influence, especially as salt, is meant to preserve, stabilize, and give flavor in the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13, A, you are the salt of the earth. You, that is his disciples again. Remember the context of this passage. You are his disciples. Disciples are those who already committed themselves to Christ. This you is not a singular you, but a plural you. If we were down south, there would be a y'all. Uh, y'all, you all are the salt of the earth. Uh, and you're the salt, and there's a lot of salt on this earth. I'm not sure if you realize that. Salt is everywhere. In the oceans alone, apparently, is estimated there's 38.5 quadrillion tons. I'm not sure that's a lot of zeros. Quadrillion tons of salt in the ocean. If you take all the salt and spread it over the earth from the oceans as well, you would be buried in 500 feet of salt in the entire earth. In salt, there's many uses, same as in Jesus' time and same as in our time, salt, that was meant to preserve. It was meant to give flavor. It was meant to stabilize uh, certain chemical reactions. It also helps, keeps our bodies in balance. Drink your electrolytes, kids. Like, that's what that is, electrolytes, Gatorade. It's, it's, it's salt, salty water. Uh, it, it's what your body needs in order for your body to function. And for us to be salt, it, for us to be salt, it means to preserve to preserve means as something that, that extends the life of whatever it is that it's preserving. And it's good to preserve, especially for us as Christians. It's our call and our mandate and maybe our act of mission is, is to preserve and to guard what is good. That our culture is going down a very slippery slope that as Christians, we ought to act as a place of preserving what is good in the world. That we go out and we fight for what is good. It's good to feed people. It's good to clothe people. It's good to fight for justice. It's good to do what, the God, what, what God wills in this world. It's good. So we go out there as salt to preserve what is good and to give flavor, to give life uh, to life itself. Because there's so many anxieties, so much pressure, that for many of us to give flavor, to give life, uh, it, it is to, um, um, it's to really uh, bring God and his joy and his spirit, the fruits of the spirit, into, into the moment and to live out what God has called us to live out. And to stabilize as well, especially in times of unrest that need peace, to be salt there is to be a, maybe a non-anxious presence in any conflict, in any difficulties. To be salt is to stabilize, to be a person of peace, to be that non-anxious presence, not to add more anxiousness, uh, but to be non-anxious, to be peaceful in that. So, even there in that moment, there's tons of implications. What can you do to be salt there? It doesn't need to be complicated for you to go and to, be, to preserve and to give flavor and to stabilize. It doesn't need to be complicated because it's often the simplest things that could be the most significant. The simplest acts every single day that could be the most significant to the people around you, whether it's through a text message, through a conversation, phone call, the interaction, the simplicity of that, there's a significance in that as well. There's also the effectiveness of your influence. It's not measured by what you do. It's measured by what you are. I'll put it how I wrote it here. The effectiveness of your influence is measured by what you are, not what you do. Because we often think influence. Even this morning, I was lining up the bakery, and the, the lady behind me was saying, 
yeah, we think of influence or we think of uh, joy in life as just having a lot of things. And then she listed off a bunch of things that she recently got. Uh, and I'm like, okay, um, come to service uh, this morning. <laughs> but the effectiveness of your influence is measured by what you are, not what you do and what you have. Jesus continues on saying, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Here, as we talk about effectiveness, it's not talking about what it's actually doing. It's actually talking about the essence of the salt. Let's get into that a little bit. The essence of the salt. How does salt even lose, how does salt even lose its saltiness? What makes salt salty anyway? It's just what it is, right? For those that have taken chemistry, the composition of salt is NaCl. That's just what salt is. The composition of it, sodium chloride, is what makes it salty. And that's super layman's terms, chemistry. I know we have some chemistry majors here, and you're dying inside, <laughs> drawing out some organic pictures, you know. Uh, organic pictures, you know what I mean. Uh, so what is the essence of salt. Like salt is salty because that's just what salt is. That's the essence of what it is. And maybe what Jesus is saying here is that you only, lose your salt in it. You, you only lose your saltiness when you just stop being salt altogether. When you actually change, have a change in your composition. When you have a change in who you are. That's when you stop being salty. Our, our leadership, uh, English Congregation Committee, ECC, we've been praying John 15, 4 every day at 3.04 p.m every single day to the best that we can. And John 15, 4 says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Every single day at 3 or 4 p.m., our alarms come off, turn, turn, go on, uh, go off. <laughs> and, and we pray that. Because we realize it's not simply the, act, the activity of leadership and the things that we do. It's actually the essence of who we are, that we want more of Jesus in our lives. We need Jesus in our lives. We need to be people of substance, people that are filled with Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, so we go out, and through that, we overflow into the world. The missions isn't just an activity. Missions is an overflowing of our relationship uh, with Christ. Tim Keller, in his book, Center Church, says this, if we never deliberately think through ways to rightly contextualize gospel ministry to a new culture, we will unconsciously be deeply contextualized to some other culture. Meaning that if we're going to the world not realizing our, our faith and who we are in Jesus and, and where we stand to culture, we ultimately, consciously or unconsciously, will be affected by culture itself. Now, the answer isn't to hide. The answer here is actually to lean closer to Jesus and to be closer with him, to be filled more by him and to hear and to be closer to him. And I think in order to influence positively, we need to understand Scripture rightly. That's all part of this. That we need to hear what Jesus is saying. We need to read what he's saying. We need to digest it, to take it, and to chew it, to marinate on it. My favorite word recently has been percolate. Have God's word percolate in your mind all the time. And we're not talking about trying harder. Please don't hear me say that. that just to go out and to do more things and to try harder. That's not what I'm saying. It's not just about going to more classes or just reading more scripture or, or books or just taking more classes. It's not about doing more, but it's about your heart behind it all and why you do what you do. And to be an effective Christian is measured by not what you do, but what you are, your relationship with Christ, what you're filled with, your substance and your character. To be an effective Christian, you need to be engaged in the faith. 
Thirdly, your influence is meant to be seen. As Christians, as we're out there, it, we're, we're meant to be seen. In verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. This, I hope this doesn't come as a shock to you, but you're meant to be seen. You're meant to be seen. Now, but I also think we're meant to be out in the world. That's what Jesus is saying here. We're meant to make a difference out in the world. And what I find fascinating in this passage here is that Jesus changes from salt to light, and all of a sudden it has a little precursor, a little tangent. For example, a town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Who's building this town? Jesus, I presume. God is building this town, and he's intentional in where he builds this town in order for it not to be hidden, but on a hill so that all can, be, uh, all can see it and all, for it to have maximum impact. Maybe another way to put it for us is that your faith, when it's lived out, is meant to impact people around us. It's not meant to be done in hiding. Yes, we have a relationship with Christ, and that's in the secret place, and we have this faith with Christ, and we often take that maybe in the Protestant uh, evangelical world a little bit too far, that Jesus is just me and Jesus all the time, that no one can judge me, and that is true for sure, so much so that we lean so much to that side that we forget that we're also meant to be seen, that our, our, our works and our relationship out of Jesus, with Jesus, are meant to be seen out in the world. And as I was studying this, this question came to my mind. Was for me, it's like, how many people actually know that I'm Christian? Like, how many people know what I believe and why I believe? And maybe that question is uh, relevant for, for you too. If you're Christian, how many people in your life know that you're Christian? And know why you believe what you believe. Not only do they know, but are we impacting them? Are we making a difference in their lives? My first day I stepped into this church, it was in high school, and I was astounded. That's a long story for another day. But I stepped into this, uh, uh, this uh, Lord's Love for the first time, and I went to Churchill uh, High School, which isn't too far from here. And I stepped in, and I was just discovering the faith, uh, very new in my faith. And I walked in, and after service, I was like, hey, <laughs> you're Christian? I didn't mean that in a judgmental way. But I'm like, I didn't know. Like, I, these are some of these people that some of my classmates I went to school with. that I never knew that they were Christian. I never knew that they, 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 they follow the Christian faith. And I'm not saying we ought to be out on the street, on the street corner with a megaphone, yelling, I am Christian, or have a sign, and wear a t-shirt, you know, Jesus, is, you know, whatever. Uh, if you want to, go ahead. But I'm saying here that as a Christian, it ought to overflow to the people around us and actually make a difference. And often, why I stop being salty and why I stop being lit for Christ and being a light for Christ often comes down to in this passage is because we hide. We shrink back. We, we pull back from the call that God has for us to be out in the world. Why do we hide? We get an, uh, an understanding of this in Romans 1.16 where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So which also, if I flip that around, when I'm ashamed of the gospel, what happens? When I'm ashamed of the gospel, when I hide back, when I don't live out what God has called me to live out, that I end up losing the power of God as well in our lives. That end up not living in a way that glorifies him. We're not meant to be spectators of the faith, especially as we call ourselves Christians. We're not meant to be spectators of what God is doing in this world. We're meant to be engagers, to be part of what he's doing, to take part and to partner 
with them. Just think about Jesus for a moment. We've been thinking about him the whole time, but like for this moment here, how Jesus, he confronts Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18, if you're familiar with that passage, where he's captured, he's arrested, and he's before this ruler, this governor here. What Jesus here goes up against is this powerful kingdom, and he challenges Pilate in what is the kingdom, what is truth, and what is power. Jesus, as he's engaging with the culture here, he's challenging the kingdom of the world, the kingdoms of the world, the truth of the world, and the powers of the world. These things ultimately got him hung on the cross and executed. But I, I, I argue for us to be salt and light in this world, we're meant to engage the world in the very same way that we're meant to challenge the world's kingdoms, to challenge the truth and what we think is truth out there, and to challenge what the powers that are to be. And as people that are, uh, that are, are light of the world, a town built on a hill that's not hidden, we need to be compassionate yet courageous. Compassionate yet courageous in sharing Jesus with people. This is going off wire here. (laughs) Your influence also is meant to be selfless. Your influence selflessly gives to others around you. Verse Verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Ephesians 5 also says, you were once in darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. That this light is not meant to be hidden under a bowl, but is meant to be put on a lampstand. And I'm not going to go into this a little bit more into this point because I think it's fairly straightforward here that a lamp in that day, they didn't have electricity they didn't put their lamps on the floor, but actually put it on the lampstand. And the lampstand, it would be foolish for them to put it on the lampstand and to cover it because it would be useless. So here he's challenging us, the same illustration, same imagery that as Christians, were to be placed on the lampstand, to be placed out there, to challenge ourselves, to be, be visible to the world. Not to be, stay hidden, not to stay in the background, but to be visible for everyone to see. So your influence is meant to be selfless because why? It gives light to everyone else. The light doesn't burn brightly and be like, look at me. I'm so bright. You know, I'm so great. <laughs> I look so good. No, it's meant to be selfless. So when we're salt and when we're light and we're influencing the world, it's actually doing the world something, a, a, a favor. It's moving them into a positive light. It's bringing them into a way of understanding this God that as we live out selflessly in this world, that we're changing the context and the landscapes around us. And lastly, for sake of time here, your influence glorifies God. And maybe this is one of the most important points here. In verse 16, we read, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's another way of saying this is that how we live, how salty we are, how brightly we shine, it ultimately doesn't point to us, but it points to God. It reveals the Jesus that we follow. It reveals the Holy Spirit uh, that we have in us to the world. Let your light shine. Don't hide it. Just let it. Don't need to try harder. Just let it. It'll shine automatically with this relationship with Jesus. And I think many of us who know, uh, who know and have watched basketball, you know Steph Curry, uh, he's a professional basketball player in the NBA, and along with being a four-time 
NBA champion, is also a two-time league MVP, has holds a whole bunch of records, me including the most three-pointers in a single season, 402. Fact check me, someone. Something like that. I just went off a, went off a limb. Shouldn't do that. So for, uh, he, has the, he has the record for it. But every single time he was in an interview, and someone asked him every single time, why do you point to your chest? Uh, why do you hit your chest and point to the sky every single time? And during his interview with this non-Christian organization, newscaster, he says this, basically, it means have a heart for God. It keeps perspective for me why I play the game and where my strength comes from. Oh, all right. A thousand-something baskets that year, every single time, national television, someone saw you do that. In the same way, I would argue every single day, with all the seconds and time that we have, we have opportunities to point people to Jesus. No, it's not about being on TV. No, it's not about being an NBA basketball star. I'm saying every single day, there's moments where we can point our lives to Christ and to glorify him. And maybe that's what influencing means. It's a simple action, a simple phrase, a simple act of thanksgiving that points to God, that glorifies and honors him. So salt is salty. As I come to the end here, and light shines. If you got that, then you got it. <laughs> Salt is meant to be salty, and light is meant to shine. And when we're not salty and when we're not being a light to the world, there's something going on internally in us that we need to reflect on, a relationship with Jesus. And I'll end with this story here this morning, that as I was preparing these thoughts, as I was going through this point on Thursday, I'm like, okay, God, I think this is what you have for our church this week. As I went, I prepared that, and I went home, I got, uh, Jess sent me, uh, gave me this letter, and in the letter, she left it there. It was from the BC Supreme Court. I'm like, oh, man, we're getting sued. Uh, you know, something's happening here. What did I do? You know? <laughs> um, so as I opened it, I, I got called to juror duty uh, again for a second time in three years or something. I never win anything, not even a church draw for, during Christmas dinner. I don't even win anything at all. And in three years, I get drawn to the jury. Last time I said yes, and then they canceled it for, for COVID reasons. And this time, I read it, I'm like, oh, man, do I want to do this? It says criminal. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, re- I see on the news and the movies, bad things happen. Um, 25 days? That's a long time. I look, I look, I'll try to sign on and try to find every excuse. It's not listed uh, on there for me. So I'm like, oh, man, God, what should I do here? And I was praying. This is an honest conversation I'm having with God. I'm like, God, what do you want from me here? What do you require of me? And he reminded me in Micah 6, say, what does the Lord require of you? <laughs> to seek justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I'm like, no, 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 God, that's not, you know, I, I don't want to hear that. And at the end, as I was going, I was thinking, what is going on here? What is this case? I don't really know. But is this an old moment, an opportunity for God that God's giving me that calls me into this act to participate in this moment with him, to influence to be a light, and the only answer why I could give back to God of why I don't want to do it is because it's inconvenient to me. And the last time I checked, I'm not sure if inconvenience is an excuse to not serving God, to not walking alongside him, not doing the things that he's called us to. So I end with that here today. First, as a prayer, pray for me. I'm not sure what the answer is still. We'll see. They might not even select me uh, as I go through the selection process. But pray also for yourself that God gives you moments to influence in your every single day lives. And maybe that's what missions is. 
In those very moments, not just flying across the world or going to participate in a program in a ministry, though that's really important too, but those everyday moments where you're called to influence, whether it's your own kids, whether it's your own family members, whether you're at school, at work, on a passerby. Yesterday, I almost got hit by a car running. The guy was shocked. I was in shock. How I react in that moment is influence. How I react in that moment is influence. Is that moment of anger? Is it a moment of I just go off or is it a moment of grace? Is it a moment of forgiveness? Every moment, everything we do matters. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you, God, that you call us to participate in missions, in the activity of the church, which is in everything that we do. And every single day, God, you give us moments Moments to influence, moments to represent you, moments, God, to make a difference for your kingdom. Yes, there's big moments that we feel the moment of, God, but it's in the little moments, God, that really, that also matter in your eyes. So, God, I pray that you would help us to be people of influence, that you would call us, Lord, to be people that impact the world for the better, that we would be salt, Lord, and that we would be light, in the different places in the lower mainland. I get this image now, Lord God, that you've lit a flame in us, that you created a new composition and character in us to be salt, that you're sprinkling us throughout the lower mainland to change the, the, the landscape of our culture for the better, for your kingdom, and for your goodness. So I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to fill us, that we will live lives that are ultimately glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.